The crisis in Ukraine has affected all of us. This week, we want to talk about a group of veterinarians from Ukraine who are actually trying to help on the ground and how you can participate and maybe lend a helping hand to those in need. This week on The Veterinary Viewfinder. Welcome back to The Veterinary Viewfinder, the podcast that tackles the toughest topics in veterinary medicine. And I can't think of a tougher topic, viewfinders, than war. And if you're like me, you have been, I don't know, gone through an entire gamut of emotions as you've watched the atrocities unfold in Ukraine. At first, you felt like this would be over quickly and hopefully a a peaceful resolution. And now as it drags on, you start to see more and more atrocities Revealed, And this week, we want to talk about a veterinarian who is from Ukraine and the efforts he is making to help not only the people that he still knows and loves that are there, but also how we could help here from the U.S. But before we get into that conversation, as always, I am one of your co-hosts, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm registered veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And Becky, today I'm really excited to bring the viewfinders this guest once again. Uh, this is Dr. Ivan Zach, as we all call him. And, uh, you know, Becky, when we were talking about how could we address this, I was like, we really want to get somebody who has, you know, ground level knowledge. And I can't think of anybody better than Ivan. Well, yeah. And actually, honestly, Dr. Zach and his amazing PR team have at, came to ended up on our table with this initiative that they're pushing. So with, I think, no further ado, our repeat guest, Dr. Ivan, you've been on before. And if I am, I'm hoping and still a record holder guest on your show, <laughs> Dr. Ivan Zach, thanks for being here this morning. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And Ivan, again, I want to first of all, just say, uh, how how is everybody? I know you've got family and loved ones, employees that are still in Ukraine. How how is everyone doing? So luckily the, uh, the team, I have 35 employees in Ukraine and it was, uh, it was quite a tragedy, tragedy because I was trying to relocate them before everything started, but it seems like nobody wanted to believe, uh, no one in the world wanted to believe, but I was trying to relocate them and the head of our R&D team, for example. Uh, so finally he said, okay, I'll relocate part of the team who agreed. And his flight was scheduled on the February 24th at 6 a.m. And as he was driving to the airport, the first rocket landed in the airport. So he made it out of there. And then the next two weeks we spent relocating them. So that that's the team, and uh, similar to that, uh, my close family uh, is still in Kharkiv, which is one of the two most uh, bombarded cities in Ukraine, so Mariupol and Kharkiv. And even with the shelling that was going on there and 1,200 apartment buildings destroyed with uh, with all probably existing weapons in the in the uh, Russian artillery, uh, I finally relocated them over the weekend into Kiev because Kiev seems to be a little safer. But um, certainly not easy times. Wow. I, Ivan, and again, just viewfinders, you definitely want to check out the episode that we have done with Ivan in the past, but he actually got stuck over in his homeland of Ukraine during COVID, actually wound up having a, a daughter there, right, Ivan? So, I mean, yeah, this is not like you've been removed from the country for decades or something. I mean, this is all very current to you. 
That's right. Well, the uh, the the back end of SmartFlow, if anybody of the listeners yeah, yeah. knows the application that we built, was also built with a Ukrainian team. So out of 65 people, I think close to 40 were Ukrainian. So this innovation in whiteboarding and, and uh, treatment sheets was brought to you by Ukraine in North America. So I'm, you know, I, I constantly was back and forward. But uh, yes, two years ago, right before COVID, we went because we wanted the uh, to have our daughter born in Ukraine um, and as a part of heritage and just to have her have a little Ukrainian at home. Uh, so, and we did that, but we got stuck there with COVID, uh, which, which now it's, it, you know, it means quite a different and a, and a lot. Right. I, and I can't imagine sort of the emotional roller coaster that the Ukrainians have had to endure, right? I mean, not only did the whole world get shut down through COVID pandemic, but Gosh, there's now an a, an invading army on your on your borders and bombing your cities. Uh, Ivan, one of the things that's sort of I, I have found intriguing about this because we're now in a in a part of history where people have access to communications as never before. I mean, in World War II, maybe you got you know dispatches you know a week later after some bombing in France or Germany or wherever, right? In England, and and now it's instant, real time. I mean, I'm subscribing to several TikTok and Instagram accounts, Facebook accounts that are giving us real time. How is technology changing the way we view this war? And more importantly, how is it affecting the people that are there enduring the war? So I think absolutely, this is a completely different uh, different scenario now, and it's now uh, way more difficult for the uh, for the Russians uh, to hide their uh, their genocide and criminal right. um, situation that they are creating in these cities with all the murder and rape and everything that's going on. It's all documented, and you can't just then you know publish a newspaper about the achievements of the Russian army and how they were freeing up the. You know, the Donbass from Nazis, all that nonsense is only possible right. within the Russian Federation, where they also very effectively used the technology to influence the minds of the people, because there is a complete blockage of information, and they're just brainwashed. And right. they were right. using social media and everything so effectively, you know, the interaction with the with the elections in the United States and, and everything else that they've done, they are leveraging technology sometimes better than than major, major marketing companies in the North America. Right. But this allows also for you to stay in touch, right? I mean, so like you're in contact with family and employees and so forth. I mean, I, I mean, I think that's what's really, I think, amazing, right? I mean, you're actually able to, to keep tabs on them. Well, absolutely. So we we have our so Telegram is very popular in uh, in Ukraine and Russia. So it's one of the uh, the messenger platforms that uh, right. the Russians were not able to crack into, and uh, coincidentally written by Russian, and um, and basically that's the channel. So immediately when this happened, we we created the internal channel in Telegram, and there was a daily sort of standups to check in if everybody's safe. It was a completely different environment when you were checking in and asking, "Is everybody alive?" Right. That's a way right. different of, you know, uh, your regular stand-up meeting with, did you do, you know, like it's just anything, anything that you can imagine is completely different. So technology definitely helped. Uh, and also, again, during uh, the actual uh, war uh, situation, for example, in, in Belarusia, where a lot of troops invaded from there and the rockets were launched, a lot of partisans and just civilians that wanted to help Ukrainians would text uh, that a certain airplane uh, took off from the airport in Belarus. So they were helping also on the um, wow. on the uh, war fields. 
Wow, that's amazing. And, and just one quick thing too, before we get into how, how we can help and how you are helping right now with animals in particular, but what is the day-to-day life look like for your family and friends and employees? I mean, like, you, you know, do they like wake up and do a job or do they wake up and like just hunker down? You kind of have to at some point because the initial emotion that came through everybody was the complete um, sort of emptiness in the first two days because the amount of the um, of the military that accumulated around Ukraine was just impossible to think that this is something that we could stand up against. Yeah. And then, so the first three days were the worst. And then when we were convincing everybody, because people wanted to stay in their homes for the longest time, because for one, they don't want to run because they don't know where to run. And now there's 11 million people that were dislocated. Six out of 10 kids in Ukraine now are out of their homes. And four out of 10 are separated from at least one parent. So trying to convince people to leave their homes was the task for the first couple of weeks. And then when everybody is relocated and is glued to the news feed, the only thing that we could do is actually distract people with work, not because you have to work because we pay you. And we never even blink to stop paying anybody, of course, but uh, because that was a distracting mechanism where you could focus on something else. Plus, because these people are paying taxes in Ukraine, that's another way of helping Ukraine by continuously working. And because of this, the work is remote. So there's there's multiple ways this is effective and important to continue working while you're in uh, relocated areas. Wow. wow. And, you know, Becky, one of the things is, as we're sitting here talking to, to Ivan, I think the other thing that social media has allowed us, technology has allowed us to witness is the just the, the power of animals to, to help children, to help adults sort of cope with this. I mean, you're seeing the yeah. same thing, right? Sure. I mean, as always, the power of animals is, you know, we'll never deserve them. But it, sort of to Dr. Ivan's point, I, I, I have been truly just astounded with the the quote unquote normalcy and the resiliency people are moving through their life. Um, yeah. One, just for a semblance of maintaining their uh their sense of normalcy and, and probably sanity um and two just some incredibly resilient people i mean I know that we're here to talk about the pets, and I, I I think that there has been an interesting movement that we'll talk about with this. But um, I mean, we can't go without you know recognizing the grandmother who handed them the sunflower right, seeds, right, <laughs> and right. you know the people who have really and truly uh, you know TikToks teaching you to drive tanks. Uh, the resiliency right. is is just incredibly beautiful. These these folks are um, brave and um, and and resilient. Just keeps coming to mind, but they but they shouldn't have to be and. and and that's the thing, right, right? Is right. this is because it's being forced on them, and so I'm really proud we are doing this sh- this episode, and and you know we saw all these images and pictures and. Um, and, and some of it brought some things that maybe were not great about, you know, relinquishing pets. But we have really seen a ton of media coming out of Ukraine where people are fleeing with their pets, taking their pets with them, ensuring that their pets are are part of the family. So, Ivan, I'm interested, you know, one, of course, we're going to talk about what you're doing and what we can do to help. But what is the state of pet ownership right now? What are we seeing? Like you're talking about all these folks who didn't flee and didn't leave. And I mean, are we is it day to day? day? Are there veterinary practices open? Like what's going on, on, on the pet ownership side in the middle of war? 
Well, it really depends on the area where you at, because uh, Western Ukraine is a little safer, and uh, a lot of a lot of stuff that's going on there. It's they hear sirens probably daily, but they do have logistics. They have the stores open. They have the groceries. They have the pet food available. It's diminishing, and that's why our initiative, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, but if you talk about the war torn cities like Mariupol, I don't even want to think of what's the situation there oh, because yeah. people don't have for months food, water, and they're, as we speak right now, being bombed by the three-ton bombs inside of the factory there. Um, so the situation is different, and depending on where you're at, for example, in my hometown, Kharkiv, uh, there was a zoo where we, we were really proud. Last fall, uh, we received a little baby giraffe in there, and it was such a celebration in the city. And then now all of those animals have to be rescued, and then there's people that are looking after these animals. They're driving them in their minivans. It's just, you know, the way that the population united around helping each other and animals was incredible. Because you would think that, you know, when people are fleeing the war, or they would think about themselves. But what we're seeing is that people, you know, consider their pets as, as family. And even the zoo animals that they don't know, they are helping them to flee with them and relocate and then looking for donations uh, to help them in this situation. Well, and that pretty much brings us to why we've got you here today and, and the importance of the entire conversation, which is your initiative, what you're doing right now to help the animals over there and, um, you know, what availability and resources there are for us in America to, to, to help. So just a little bit about the initiative that we started. So we started the uh, part of the Galaxy uh, Vets, Galaxy Vets Foundation, and uh, the mission there is help Ukraine, help animals in Ukraine. Um, the reason why we focused on that is because there's a lot of uh, help that is coming right now from military, and I really thank the United States and you know Joe Biden how the, he's helping and the country is helping. So that's a military support. There's humanitarian aid, but I don't think that at this point the animals are addressed. It's it's scale uh, because again because of the magnitude of the problems and we thought because uh, continuously I feel, you know, I started a Ukrainian association in St. John where I live, but you still feel like you're not doing enough. So we sat back and we said, where are we the most effective? And um and we thought about uh we are veterinarians and we're in the veterinary field. So how can we help? So in this foundation there's sort of two main directions that we're taking this. One we stood up the telemedicine service, uh, which is sh still being under construction, but essentially you can volunteer as a technician or as a veterinarian, sign yourself up for certain shifts, if you will, and they could be one hour, two hours, or three hours. And then you could participate in helping someone who is through texting, so teletriage, essentially. Uh, Ukrainian side will, help, will have access to uh, teletriage through texting through our website. And then on this end, we're hoping to stand up the group of volunteers uh, to, in fact, we have already 60 vets and technicians signed up uh, to help with uh, with the telemedicine service. So essentially give recommendations to injured pets, maybe pets that you don't know, because some people rescue, you know, 100 chinchillas and they had no idea how to look after those right, little ones. Right. Oh my so that's the telemedicine piece. And then we're working on uh, two ways of donating. One is the actual cash. So you can go on our website. And, uh, so galaxyvets.com. 
uh, .foundation. And then also uh, we're looking for partners, uh, corporate partners that want to help to uh, distribute food or medication in Ukraine. So with the proceeds, with the donations, what we do, there are several um, food companies inside of Ukraine that are still working and they're functional. So we want to purchase from them the food so we're supporting the economy and then on uh, their behalf sent to shelters that are looking after this there's a couple of shelters that we were talking to they have over 2,000 dogs and cats and people are looking after them while being actively shelled by the military so we want to pay for the food in ukraine and then that food company will deliver the food to these shelters so those are the sort of two ways that we decided to help Wow. And, and again, you know, Ivan, for me, what's breaking my heart the most about these situations are the cities like Kharkiv and Mariupol, right? Because I don't, how do you even, can you even get in there, right? Can anybody help them at this point? Mariupol, you can't. And in fact, I mean, the, what we're hearing from there, I don't, I don't, I don't even want to repeat this on the, on the radio, what's happening there. And I'm sure that everybody's seen Bucha yeah, and yeah, the yeah, news yeah. from there. Uh, but in Kharkiv, I <sighs> just uh, moved my aunt and uncle from there. And the head of police, actually, it's a big city. It's 2 million population city. Right, right. Uh, the head of police is a friend of mine. So shout out to Leonid. Uh, and uh, basically, Hey, Leonid, we love you. <laughs> so he's actively there uh, with his uh, guys are helping to protect the uh, uh, the back end, sort of, if you will. Um, and, um, and they do have the logistics. So we can send, they're shelling the city from the north, which is from the Russian side. But the other side of the city is functional. There's still people that didn't flee. Some of my friends, unfortunately, are still there, and I can't convince them to le- live. Leave. Uh, one of them is a, is a friend of mine from the childhood. She actually has right now seven German shepherds and uh, and. F- five or six, I think, Yorkies and some number of cats in her home. Because in her region, people left with leaving the pets around. So she collected them from households and now she has this huge group of animals and I can't convince her to leave because now she can't leave with that many animals. So it's sort of a, she's stuck. Ivan, I'm seeing those stories all over social media. Exactly that. So like people that stayed behind a little longer, right? And especially in cities like Kharkiv and others that are, are now actively being assaulted. And they they feel they can't leave because they've got 14 pets or whatever. I mean, oh my gosh. So, so one quick question too, Ivan. I mean, and, and again, you, you know, nobody knows how this plays out, but what do you think is going to ultimately happen here? Because that will also determine like how effective and where you deploy your resources. I mean, do you, do you have any idea? Like what, are, what are you hearing? Like, are they going to split the country in a half or are they going to stick with the East and the Donbass or maybe the North? I mean, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? So I, I'm not a specialist in the military. Um, I can only hope what will happen. And uh, from what I'm seeing, at least from the news feeds and open sources, is that Ukraine effectively is winning. Strategically, they already won because the initial goal was to take over the entire Ukraine. And that right. basically was um, was stopped in Kiev and they left the north. And then now they're trying to surround Kharkiv, which is also not going to happen because there's tremendous forces that are stopping them. And then as the last resource, they're trying to expand the Donbass and Luhansk regions to their administrative borders, including Mariupol. So unfortunately 
from what I'm seeing is Mariupol is in a very, very difficult situation. It's completely surrounded and there's a couple thousand soldiers that are still fighting with around thousand civilians that are trapped in the same right, uh, right. factory. But even if they take Mariupol, the goal is to make part of Ukraine or the whole Ukraine politically dependent on Russia. And after what happened now, there's not a single Ukrainian in Ukraine that is supporting Russia anymore. So whether they take Mariupol or not, it will be taken back. The Donbass, the Luhansk and Crimea will be all taken back. And with the military help that is coming from the West today, it's absolutely possible. Wow. I mean, again, it's frightening viewfinders. I mean, we just, yeah. this is different than other wars and conflicts. I think that the U.S. has been in over the past couple of decades because, you know, I mean, we're witnessing this in real time. And, and Ivan, again, I want, we'll make sure we have all the links uh, in the show notes today on how you can help. Uh, and I think that really the two main things you can do, number one, if you want to sign up to volunteer your time as a, as a veterinary professional, you can do the telemedicine outreach. But I think probably as always, the most important thing is cash, right? I mean, they need money because that's how they get food to people and that's how they move people. And, uh, you know, I, Ivan, what are your goals for this? I mean, do you see this as something that is going to be in existence for a long period of time? Do you hope that it's just going to be needed for a few more months? I mean, what, what do you think about Animal Help Ukraine's long-term, you know, needs? So, so as with any donation, I think that the human nature when you're donating, it's, there's a bit of a feeling when you have donated, uh, you're feeling, okay, I've done my part already. I think what's very important is that if we feed several animals today, they're still there. So it doesn't mean that by donating today, it's going to be once and for all. So the goal is to create a continuous campaign until they're back to normal or normal-ish at least. And then if you're listening and you're thinking of donating, and uh, it's very simple, you just click, you know, 50, 70 bucks, what you can do, 20 bucks, even if five bucks. But then whenever you see these news from there, and when you feel that this is an unfair world, it's that boost of dopamine they, when you, which you get when you're donating. So please go back and do it again if you can, if this is something that you can do. So I think that long-term, it's sustaining and supporting the animal health and welfare in Ukraine while they're kicking out Russians and then rebuilding their country. And then with telemedicine, it's to build the awareness of telemedicine. So there is a bigger goal here. And actually, uh, the interesting part here is because telemedicine is such a controversial topic of the last four, five, six years. Now, there's no jurisdiction uh, limitation here. We can conduct teletriage and telemedicine remotely into Ukraine because there's no regulation. Right. Therefore, we can actually help our industry to transform into it. And just to give a color of how to participate in this, so you can have a visual, if you will, it's basically if you sign up, there's, you know, two, three hours, whatever, you will be just available. And if someone texts, they potentially will text in Russian, will have auto translation through Google Translate, and then you text them back. And then basically, this is all it is. It's not, you know, any sophisticated equipment. It's basically text back and forth. And that's for teletriage, that's for sure. And if needed an appointment to see the injury or something like that, then you might get on air. But then we will have a translator to help you. So it's quite doable. It could be done off the phone. If you're sitting near your pool in a beautiful area, Area or somewhere and could volunteer while you're there reading a book. I think there's not, nothing better that you can do is participate in something like that while you're even relaxing. 
Ivan, what are the calls looking like? Like, are people saying, you know, my dog is injured or are they dealing with anxiety due to noise and frightening situations? I mean, what, what are the number of calls? Like, what are you seeing the most of, I guess? Is- so as I said, we're just standing this up, but we did, uh, we did go through a deliberate uh, design thinking process. And when we collected the most um, areas of concern is, A, people have a pet that they don't know how to look after. So they're not sure about husbandry of unknown species. Like, you know, someone finding a chinchilla right or giraffe. Uh, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, and, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but also if there is an, you know, active infection going on, what antibiotic can I give pain control if necessary? Not everybody knows that ibuprofen shouldn't be given to dogs. So things like that. And it's really the advice. And, um, you know, as you know, the veterinary medicine, there's part that you can't do remotely. Uh, but you can at least recommend, yes, you need to find a local veterinarian, or you can say that if you can find in a pharmacy antibiotic of this uh, type, then you could give that. And in fact, in Ukraine, as of today, there's no, this is important, there's no prescription for antibiotics. So if you give recommendation, a lot of medications could be purchased in the pharmacy, if pharmacies are available, if you're not too deep into the East. So you can actually give recommendations without being concerned about the regulatory component of it. These people are at war nobody is going to sue you to your local organization and you're not conducting veterinary medicine in your local organization or another state so it's you completely are licensed in a way to conduct this type of activity in ukraine so you can you can essentially do this without any concerns as we have here if you're even you know crossing from texas to oklahoma wow dr ivan zakharinikov dr ivan zak as we like to call him Galaxy Vets Foundation, Animal Help Ukraine. We'll have all the links in the show notes on how you can help. And I would encourage you to at least donate some money. And if you've got time, then donate your time. Ivan, thank you so much. And, and please, on behalf of the entire Viewfinder family, uh, be safe and, and help your family and, and your friends and your loved ones and your employees. Please help them. Thank you so much for creating this awareness. This is very important. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing and for getting the word out. And all of the links will be in our show notes. It's incredibly important. um, And we are so grateful for what you're doing. I think a lot of us want to help and don't know how. So um, having this opportunity to know where we can put our resources and time. And I think also for a lot of folks speaking from the tech side, we don't have a lot of extra money to give. So knowing that there's a way we can give our time and expertise is, is just, um, if I had to guess, you're going to have very few available chefs. <laughs> That's yeah, my hope, hope for you. Let's hope. Let's hope. <laughs> well, listen, viewfinders, what do you think about what's happening in the Ukraine? I mean, obviously, this is just tumultuous times for us all. But we want to help, and that's why we're bringing Dr. Ivan Zak to you guys, and I hope you can help. But what are you doing in your clinic? Can you do a fundraiser? Can you volunteer your time? What can you do? And more importantly, how is it impacting your daily life? Because I think at the end of the day, Ivan, Becky, everyone listening, you can't escape the tragedy of war, and I think it is influencing how we feel about the world, and maybe this is a way to make it a little less bad. I don't know. That's exactly right. We want to know what you guys are doing. If you've already done something, um, just reach out to us so we can help get that out there. If you've got other resources, so you can reach out to us on Facebook and Instagram at Veterinary Viewfinder at Twitter um, for now until Elon buys it. And then we don't know what'll happen (laughs) (laughs) at Vet Viewfinder. And send us an email, veterinaryviewfinder at gmail.com. That's right, guys. Until next week, you guys stay safe, stay positive, and maybe you can help Ukraine. Bye. Bye. Bye.